welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of, faith, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitfulness, in, de in deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your spirit um, with us today. We thank you that you, your presence is here as we sung today. We, um, God, we thank you that uh, you are faithful to us and that your word still stands true. There's nothing else in the world like that. Um, God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God, as we hear your word today, um, out of that truth that has been true for generations, God, we ask that you would speak to us today as a church, um, speak to us as a community, speak to us individually. Um, we, we bless uh, Daniel as he comes and shares, and um, God, when you use him in this moment um, to, to, to speak to your children, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Michelle. I'm going to start off with this. I know last week mentioned uh, drug dealing and, and myself, and just in case anyone left here last week thinking like, oh, there is a leader and he's preaching next week, and, and he's selling drugs. I, I died of that life a long time ago. I remember someone, someone last week, they're like, so you stopped selling drugs, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I did. It's, it's been like three weeks. No, no, it's, it's probably been like seven or, or eight years. Um, but yeah, if you're new here today, my name is Daniel. Uh, I'm, one of the leaders, I'm one of the leaders here today. Um, and we're going through this series on spiritual warfare called Uprising. And our team is preached on things like uprising influence, uprising peace, uprising destiny. And today I'll be preaching on uprising unity. Uh, we have a quote here. This is one pastor from the United Kingdom. This is what he says about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is very real. There is a ferocious, fierce, and furious battle raging in the realm 
of the spirit between the forces of God and the forces of evil. Warfare happens every day, all the time. Whether you believe it or not, you are in a battlefield. You are in warfare. Uh, there's this movie that came out in, in the mid-90s, uh, Braveheart. Uh, Mel Gibson plays the lead role as, as William Wallace, and he leads this small Scottish army against a massive, oppressive English army. And there's this one scene where the, the foot soldiers are, uh, including William Wallace, they're charging at each other. And so dramatically, the, the camera pans to the English, and they're yelling, ah, and they're charging each other. Then it pans towards William Wallace, and he has this huge weapon in his hand. And then it pans back to the, Scot uh, the English, and they're yelling, and they're just about to meet. And it pans back to uh, William Wallace, and he has no weapon in his hand. He's literally charging the army, and the producers obviously made some mistake, but as, as they're about to meet right in the middle of the battlefield, as the English army wants to destroy him, he has no weapon in his hand. And at best, some of you today are like William Wallace. You're in, a spiritual battle for, uh, you're in a spiritual battle right now with no weapon in your hands. And at worst, you don't even realize that you're in a battle. Spiritual warfare is real. We can, let's say that's distracting. Next slide. <laughs> and the enemy is trying to fill your minds with a false gospel. Satan knows that he can never take away your salvation, but he knows that he can make you doubt it. He will use suffering and affliction to get us to question the grace and goodness of God. He will use lies and temptation to get us to focus on our sin instead of our Savior. He will use disunity in the church to get us to walk away from our faith. But guys, remember that the enemy is powerless. And the only reason he has power is because we give it to him. And our only hope in this fight is to press the gospel into our hearts that Jesus Christ has won the cosmic war already. Sin, death, and hell have all been conquered by the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, it is finished, he is saying, Satan is finished. The gates of hell will not prevail. Sin has no power, and truth and love has won. And God has given us all sorts of practical tools to fight this spiritual war we are in. He's given us the word, He's given us prayer. He's also given us the body of believers, the church, to fight this battle. We fight with truth. We fight with encouragement. We fight with confession. We fight with worship. And most importantly, we fight in unity because the enemy loves isolation. Satan uses bitterness and unforgiveness to tear apart friendships. He uses pride to cause strife in workplaces. He uses sexual sin to destroy dating relationships and marriages. And he uses gossip and slander to tear apart churches. And so this is our bottom line for today. Unity in the church empowers us to win the fight, but disunity in the church empowers the enemy to win the fight. So unity in the church empowers us to win the fight, but disunity in the church empowers the enemy to win the fight. Um, how many of you guys know who Mike Tyson is? Okay. Most of you guys do. Uh, he was one of the greatest heavyweight boxers in the world. Even though he snacked on Evander Holyfield's ear in one of the fights. I don't know if you guys saw that. But still, arguably, one of the greatest heavyweights in the world. Yeah, that's him. He was 5'10", uh, 240 pounds, 
Uh, at 20 years old, he was the youngest heavyweight to win the heavyweight world championship. In his first 19 professional fights, he had 19 knockouts. 12 of those knockouts were in the first round. He was the first heavyweight to simultaneously hold three professional boxing titles. He defended his title nine times. He had 58 total fights with 44 of them won by knockout with only six losses. And what makes Mike Tyson arguably one of the greatest heavyweight boxers in the world? Well, it was a few things. He had a great diet. He had the best trainers. He trained at the top of the line facilities. He had amazing work ethic. He had great cardio and he had natural power and strength. And so you see, when all of these things are working together, when there's unity in the body, you get a healthy, functioning body that is capable of knocking out the enemy. We can go to the next slide, that's distracting too. <laughs> and if the church body lives out the one another lifestyle, where we serve one another, love one another, encourage one another, sacrifice for one another, and we use our spiritual gifts to strengthen each other's faith, we can be the heavyweight church that God has called us to be. But unfortunately, most of us look like this. This is Steve Urkel from uh, Family Matter? Family Matters? Yeah, that's him. Uh, you're spiritually malnourished. You have no prayer life, no desire for the Word of God, no real commitment to community. Next slide. <laughs> no passion. And then you wonder why in the midst of the spiritual war you're in right now, you get knocked out. This is because you haven't been trained, nor are you on a spiritual diet. You feel broken and hopeless. You've been struggling with the same sins for years. You've let anger and bitterness harden your hearts. You've given into the lies and temptation of the enemy. When suffering and affliction come, you crumble under the weight of it. Is this you this morning? What battle are you losing in this season? Apostle Paul in our passage today gives us the spiritual diet and training we need in order to be the church that God has called us to be and to fight and to win this war that we're in. And so let's jump into the passage. Uh, really quickly, let me give you guys some context. Uh, Apostle Paul in the first three chapters of Ephesians uh, talks about what God has done for us. So chapters 4, 5, and 6, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 is what, uh, who we are in response to that. So you see Paul starts uh, off the book by saying, God chose us, God loves us, God forgives us, God gives grace to us, God sends Jesus to die for us. And then he moves to who we should be as a church in response to God's goodness and faithfulness. And the natural response to the grace and mercy of God is to live a life sold out for Jesus Christ and his mission for the lost. And this lands us in chapter 4, Uprising in Unity. Paul starts off by saying, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. We'll stop right there. Um, when Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, he's, he's saying a bunch of things. But at least one thing he is doing he is reminding that to follow Jesus is costly. Apostle Paul has been shipwrecked, he's been flogged, he's been beaten, he's been persecuted, he's in prison right now, and at any moment he could be killed for his faith. And to follow Jesus means it will cost you comfort, it will cost you convenience, and it will cost you popularity. And if your hope is rooted in the things of this world like success, career, relationship, marriage, 
money, materialism, children, and you hold tightly to these things and don't give them up, Jesus says you cannot be my disciple. I'm not just something you add to your life to make you feel good, but I'm a whole new life. I'm not just a, agenda, I'm not just a way to achieve your worldly agenda, but I'm a whole new kingdom agenda. So what does it mean when Jesus says, carry your cross, to deny yourself, to lose your life? When Jesus is carrying his cross towards the place where he is going to be crucified, he will say, not my will be done, but your will be done. He abandoned his plans and his dreams for a greater plan and dream that the Father was giving him. He was saying that this kingdom plan is worth losing everything for. To see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread throughout our whole city and the world. And the irony is that when we are a prisoner of the Lord, you are actually set free to live the abundant life that God wants you to be. But when you are a prisoner of the things of this world, it will only reap worry, anxiety, brokenness, and it is a foundation that will not be able to withstand the trials, temptations, and the spiritual warfare we are in. What are you guys, what are you guys a prisoner of today? And so Paul reminds us that the cost of, uh, reminds us that there is a cost to following Jesus. Then he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. And this is such a massive and huge calling for Christians. And to walk means to go in a specific direction with purpose. Now, when you first read this passage, people might think, well, I need to live up to God's standard or he won't love me or accept me. And that, that, that isn't what this passage is saying. Remember, Paul has just spent three chapters earlier saying that God chose you, not because you are good, but because he is good. Not because you are faithful, but because he is faithful. God did not choose you because of anything you could have done to merit or earn salvation but it's because everything that Christ did on the cross. Now, because of this, live a life worthy of the gospel. But the heartbreaking thing is, many of us today are not walking in a manner worthy of that calling. It's scary because we can sing about Christ, we can talk about Christ, we can read about Christ, yet never actually experiencing Christ. You can go through a whole Sunday service in religion without actually experiencing deep, intimate fellowship with Jesus. And in fact, when Monday comes around, you forget that you were even at church. We often come to church with such little expectation. Many people come to church because they like the music or because they like the advice that's given here or because people are nice but did you actually wake up this morning with faith and expectancy and say, I want to encounter the living God today. I want to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Yeah. Listen to King David's heart in the Psalms. I've just picked uh, bits and parts out of, out of his heart. As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. Your love is better than life. You are more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Is this you this morning? And you might say, well, that's, that's King David. But the Bible says, no, that's a murderer, that's a liar, that's an adulterer, that's a thief who's been radically transformed by the grace of God. The natural response to the grace and love of God is to live a life worthy of that calling that God has given us. So yes, walk in a manner worthy of this calling, 
But the context of this lifestyle is within the body of Christ. And so Paul goes on to verse 2. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of this calling to which you have been called. Uh, next verse. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the uh, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I think one of the biggest arguments against Christians today is, is disunity. The thing that turns the world off most about the world, uh, the thing that turns the world off most about us is that we act like the rest of the world, we talk like the rest of the world, we listen to the same things of the world, we, we watch the same things of the world, and we hold tightly to the things of this world. We are just as selfish, just as self-centered. And then when people look at us, they only see a, pe- a bunch of people gathering for religious service on a Sunday. I've shared this quote before, but I just think it's so powerful. Gandhi says, I love your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. And even for myself growing up, uh, being a pastor's kid, I, I literally hated the church. I grew up in the church, but because I saw so much gossip, so much slander, so much disunity, so much arguing, it turned me off. And I stopped going for like eight or seven years. In grade nine, I got recruited into a gang. I've uh, been arrested a few times, been put in jail, sold guns, uh, stole cars, armed robbery, all that bad stuff. But the one thing that I remember and the most powerful tool we had as a gang is that we were unified. We had the same vision, the same purpose, the same goals, and no matter what, we were there for each other. We wore the same colored clothes, black and blue. We dressed in the same way. We smoked the same brand cigarettes, drank the same beer, hung out every single day in the same places. And when we were called to rival gang fights, every single one of us showed up. And in the middle of this spiritual war we are in, how many of you can say, I will be there for you no matter what it costs? Because I want to see you win. I want to see you grow in holiness. I want to see your passion grow for the kingdom. Or Or do we just give up on people when it gets hard? Sometimes the saddest thing to see is that the gangs that I was a part of are more, were more unified than the churches I see today. Wow. Gangs, were motiv- gangs were motivated by the love of power, but the church is supposed to be motivated by the power of love. And if gangs I was a part of could be this unified and powerful for the wrong motives, how much more should we be unified as a church? How much more powerful should we be as a church for the right motives? The only way to be a unified church is to live a one another lifestyle. What is the one another lifestyle? Apostle Paul talks about it. We are humble towards one another. We are gentle towards one another. We bear with one another. We are eager with one another to to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Another word uh, for eager is, um, is a deep, deep desire. This is totally different from the consumeristic mentality that the world promotes. The consumeristic mentality is the world revolves around you. It's all about your needs, your happiness. I will do this for you as long as you do this for me. I will live up to your standards as long as, as, long as uh, I live, uh, you will, uh, I'll live up to your standards as long as I live up to your standards. It's all about your needs and your happiness. And this creates a self-centered hardened heart that does not allow the church to flourish in the way God intended. And when Apostle Paul says we must be humble and bear with one another in love, 
one of the things he's talking about is forgiveness. He's saying that we have, a, we have a church full of broken and sinful people. And when you get a group of broken and sinful people together, you inevitably get problems and people will get hurt. But we can be like the rest of the world in this consumeristic way and say, so, well, my needs or my happiness aren't being met, so off to the next church. But if we are a family of God, which we should be, we should say, I forgive you, not because you deserve it, but because God forgave me an infinite debt. We say, I will not give up on you because God will not give up on me. I will serve you not because I will serve you because God came and served me at the cost of his life. Only when we die to our own comforts and conveniences will there be little resurrections in other people's lives. It is only when there is this type of humility, patience, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, that there will be a unified, healthy body in the spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul continues about how we are unified as a church. In verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father at all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's unity, unity, unity. If our hope is Jesus Christ, and if the gospel of love and sacrifice and peace and joy and long-suffering is pressed into the depths of our hearts, there should be an unbreakable and unshakable bond between believers. Have you committed to Trinity life in this way? Have you experienced this bond with other believers? The only way that you will be the godly person that God created you to be, and the only way the church will be what God desires it to be, is if we boldly and sacrificially commit not just to Sunday service, but to whole life service. Uh, just last, last month, I was at Starbucks, and I was, I was doing my quiet time, and I noticed these two older ladies next to me, and I noticed the one on the left here, she keeps like glancing down at my Bible, like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so I, I'm done praying, and I look up at her, and she's like smiling at me. And she's like, I'm, I'm so happy that you're reading the Word of God. And I'm like, yeah, like are you a Christian? She's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And, and, and we just started celebrating and rejoicing in that. And there was this instant bond and connection between us because we know that we are one body, one spirit. We have one hope in Christ. And this is a kingdom calling that we've been given. And we start talking like we've been friends for years. They ask me sincerely, like, what does discipleship look like? What does children's ministry look like? They ask me, how can we discipline children in a, in a healthy and loving way? And, and the one lady who was looking at, looking at my Bible and, and we, were, we were just talking, she asked me about my faith journey. And, and for the first maybe 10 seconds, I was like, yeah, so, you know, in grade nine, got re recruited into a gang. And she was like, gang? And I was like, yeah, like mafia, triad. <laughs> and she's like, oh, those bad guys. And, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I used to, I used to be like that. Um, and we just started doing life together, and it was just so life-giving. And they had to, we talked for probably at least a solid hour, maybe even more than that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was just so life-giving, and they had to go and leave and pick up their kids, and, and I jokingly said, man, I should do my quiet time here more often. I should bring a bigger Bible. And, 
And then literally like two days before that, uh, I was at the gym, I'm playing basketball, and I usually play, there's always these regulars that come, and there's this group of Filipino kids, like 22, 23, 24, and we just finished playing, and I had to leave. I said I had to go to Starbucks, I gotta do some stuff, I gotta do some work, and one of the guys comes over and says, hey, what do you do? And like, in that moment, I have, I gotta sort of discern, like whether it's okay to say like I'm a pastor, I go to church, or that I, I'm an evening cleaner. Um, because there's so much baggage with, with church and, and um, you know, that pastor. And so I say, uh, I, I was able to discern in that moment that, yeah, it's, it's okay. So I say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I work with youth. I used to work with children. And, and he just, like, lights up. Just like the lady at Starbucks, his face lights up. He's smiling. And he's like, hey, yo. And he calls his boys over. He's like, he's a Christian. He's like, we're all Christians. And I moved from, like, just regular star athlete, amazing basketball player, to, to like family, like spiritual family. And, <laughs> I've been hanging around with Mike too much. <laughs> That's, and I, yeah, so I moved away from just like this superficial, like outside level of just basketball teammate to now like a spiritual, God, a, a spiritual family of God. And then we just, uh, as we're taking a break, we're just talking about life, talking about faith, what church you go to. And again, we were just encouraging each other, loving each other, serving one another. And it was just so, again, so life-giving. And so you see when Apostle Paul talks about us being one spirit, one hope, one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, this is the excitement and joy and bond that we should have as believers whose primary affinity is not race, not culture, not socioeconomic status, but the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul just talked about this unshakable bond and hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and then goes on to say, God, out of his good grace, also gives the body of believers, believers spiritual gifts. Just like our salvation, these gifts aren't earned, they're not merited, but it's out of the sheer goodness and, and sheer goodness of God that he gives us these gifts. What does this mean? If you are a Christian, you have spiritual gifts that are beneficial for the church and for ushering in the kingdom of God in this city and in the world. This means that you are valuable, you are essential, and you are not just a seat filled on Sunday service, but you are called to something greater and more joyful. God says that you are supposed to be salt and light in a dark and decaying world. You are his masterpiece on display for the whole world to to experience the power and love of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, the Western church is built around a pastor in a pulpit, and everybody just comes to consume without partaking in this beautiful work that God intended for the church for us to be. And Paul continues this verse uh, in verse 8, where he says this. It's up there, right? Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men, In saying he ascended, what does it mean, but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So what does Apostle Paul mean uh, in verse 8, 9, and 10. Like, is this disconnected from spiritual gifts? Because when I first started reading this, it didn't make sense to me. Like, I had to wrestle with it for a couple days trying to figure this out. 
But after studying it and reading it, it makes sense. When Jesus says that he descended into the lower regions, he's not talking about that he, he went into, in, into hell and, and preached to the spirits, which is in, I think, 1 Peter. But it's just saying that he left his throne of heaven where he was being praised in worship by a hundred million angels to come and be killed on a cross for sinners like you and me. And I don't know any other passage that, uh, oh, a part of this soul, literally Jesus came, he descended to the earth, but also it's a metaphor for his humility. And I don't know any other passage that best describes his humility than Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. As I, as I read this, um, just think about the words, the phrases. Um, like, this is the word of God, so let this, let this penetrate your heart. Listen to, see, uh, listen to what Apostle Paul says here. He says, I have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, amen. Yeah, it's good stuff. So Jesus humbles himself out of love, and he descends to earth to save undeserving sinners like you and me. And then he ascends back to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And the host of captives that Paul is talking about here, some say it's, it's fallen angels. And through his life, death, and ultimately his resurrection, he proved to be the conqueror over sin, Satan, and hell. Because Jesus is our victory and sits at the right hand of the Father, this fulfills the prophecy in John when he says, I must go away so that I can give you or I can send the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, therefore giving you spiritual gifts. And this is why Jesus says, you guys will be able to do greater things than I will be able to. Because Jesus was one person ushering in the kingdom of God, but we are a multi-ethnic, multicultural, global church of believers ushering in the kingdom of God everywhere. And Paul goes on to verse 11, and he starts talking about these spiritual gifts and what they're supposed to be used for. A few gifts mentioned here are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers that Christ has given us. And then note, uh, the word he at the very beginning is crucial because it emphasizes that these spiritual gifts are not just a human invention, but it's a divine gift that's given to us by God. And where there is a divine gift used by God, the divine power of God is present. Apostle Paul says the visionaries of the church, uh, Apostle Paul uh, defines the visionaries of the church like uh, the, visionary, uh, the visionaries of our church is like this. They see the future plan that God wants for the church and they lead us there. The prophets are the ones who get divinely inspired messages from God to encourage people. The evangelists effectively share the love of God through the message of the gospel. Shepherds demonstrate the care of God for a group of people. And when the teachers use their gifts by com communicating the word of God, people grow in their faith. 
There are at least 20 spiritual gifts that uh, are in scriptures that the, the team has, our leadership team has formulated and put together. And if you guys want to know more about that and, and learn more about that, it's, it's online through our Charisma uh, series. Apostle Paul says the main reason for these gifts is to build up the body of Christ. And then in verse 13, until we attain the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measures of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what does it mean to build up the body of Christ? It means that when we use our spiritual gifts, it is a guaranteed encounter with the living God, whom we get to experience the presence, the power, and love of God. In other words, the more we do this as a unified body of believers, the more we get to experience deeper intimacy with God and with other believers. When Paul says that he wants us to mature in manhood to the measure of the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ, he is saying as the months and years pass by, we should grow to look more like Jesus Christ. We should be more patient, more kind, more loving, more gentle, more self-controlled, both individually and corporately. And yes, doing life together in unity is extremely crucial for the spiritual growth, for your spiritual growth. But so is your private devotional life as well. If you aren't growing in Christ in your private life, it will be harder to grow as a church in a corporate setting. My guess is for most of you guys, your spiritual life isn't doing too well. It's been dry for a very long time, maybe. There's no real deep desire for the Word of God. You struggle to keep up your prayer life. Your devotional life is something you just sort of tack on at the end of your day if you have time or if you're not busy or if you're not tired enough. You're struggling with the same habitual sins that you've been struggling with for years. You feel imprisoned and enslaved to them. You've lost this spiritual battle for a long time. And the reason for some of this spiritual dryness, if not all of it, is that something is killing your appetite for Jesus. It could be greed, it could be pride, disobedience, sexual sin, an ungodly relationship, an unforgiving heart. The stuff you watch on movies, TV shows, YouTube, Netflix, social media. This is the culture that many of us are content with putting into our minds every day. And it's shaping the way, it's shaping who you are. It's shaping the way you think about your friendships. It shapes the way you think about your relationships. It shapes the way, uh, it shapes who your children are if they're being exposed to it. It's shaping the way you think about God. It's shaping the way that you think about sin. And some of you have become so full on the world that you become spiritually malnourished. It happens so slowly with little compromises here and there. It's okay if I don't read my Bible today. It's okay if I don't pray. It's okay if in this movie or uh, there's a little bit of sex or nudity. It's okay if there's a little bit of cussing here and there. It's little compromises like that here and there that harden the heart. It happens so slowly. For some of you, your heart has become so hardened that your conscience isn't even convicted when you watch or listen or do any of these things. And Paul says in, in verse 14 that we stay like little children being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that fills us in this world. It's verse 14? Yeah, okay. 
So Paul says in verse 13, right before verse 14, he says, in unity, he wants us to grow up and mature to be more like Jesus, and then moves to say, so we may no longer be, uh, no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and dece- deceitful schemes. Those words tossed to and fro are the same words described in the stormy sea of Galilee. It's a raging water. What doctrines are you being tossed around right now? Is it the false doctrine of success in money? Is it the false doctrine of beauty? Is it the false doctrine of career? Is it the false doctrine of materialism? Is it the false doctrine of romance? Is it the false doctrine of entertainment? All through the Bible, it says that there is something sitting at the throne of our hearts, and that is functionally the thing that we get ultimate worth, ultimate meaning, and happiness from. It's the thing that we compromise for over and over and over and over again. What is that for you today? Paul first says in verse 13 that the key to stability in this spiritual warfare is maturing in Christ through the unity of faith between believers. And if we can do this well, we won't be tossed to and fro by the doctrines of this world. The reason why so many of us struggle is because you haven't fully committed to the unity in the body of Christ. You sort of pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. And if things go wrong, you move on. There's no long-suffering There's no doing life together. There's no confessing of sins. There's no forgiveness. There's no deep intimacy growing between each other and God. And so when the storms of false doctrine come, we crumble. We have no weapon to fight with, essentially. We are doing church on our own terms, in the way that we like, and basically in isolation, which is exactly what the enemy wants. If this is you, We still will serve you. We will still love you. We will still welcome you. But we want so much more for you than just a Sunday service. Then Paul says, as the body of Christ, we need to speak truth in love. Verse 15. Speak truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There are a lot of people struggling in our church with sin and are being tossed to and fro by worldly doctrines. And it isn't our job to judge. It isn't our job to give up on people. And it isn't our job to shame people because we all struggle and we are all on a different faith journey. You should have seen me seven years ago and what type of person I was. You would have, get, you would have thought, there's no way that this person is a Christian. But God was working and pruning things out of my life. It was painful and it was difficult. But I wouldn't be the godly man that I am today if it wasn't for Christians, if it wasn't for a unified body of believers. So our Christian duty and joy is to make it a safe place to speak truth in love. This is done in the spirit of Galatians 2. Love, patience, gentleness, and grace. I'm going to close with this. Paul says that when the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, spiritual gifts, when each part is working properly, living the one another lifestyle, loving one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
Paul says the only way for us to be the people and the church God wants us to be and to win this spiritual war that we are in is to look to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of love. Jesus overcame temptation in the wilderness. Jesus overcame the lies of Satan. Jesus overcame the darkness that fell over him on the day of his crucifixion. Jesus Christ was torn to pieces so that we could be a unified church. But Jesus did not just stay in the tomb, but he triumphed over Satan, sin and hell by resurrecting from the grave. The tomb is empty and Jesus lives. This is our power. This is our strength. This is our hope. And if Jesus Christ has won the cosmic battle or the cosmic war already, we can win our battles here on earth. So look to Jesus and we will be the unified, God-honoring, spirit-led, Christ-exalting church that will make an impact on this earth and then for all eternity. Let's pray. God, we love you. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, uh, to pay a debt that we could not pay, undeserved, unmerited, sheer grace, sheer goodness that you've given us. Jesus Christ was torn apart on the cross so that now we can have unity in the body. And so make us more like you. Make us more loving, make us more kind, make us more um, forgiving. Through that, I pray that we would grow a spiritual deep intimacy with you and with each other. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.